and welcome. And we are on the last part of our series called Center Set Church. And in case you're catching us, we're at the end of the movie. And <laughs> so here's a quick recap. Um, for the first few weeks, we talked about more about theology, the, the understanding behind how church is run. And we talked about how when Jesus came to this earth, he was more concerned about creating a church than creating a temple 2.0 type of system. Okay, so what is a temple system? Temple system is basically um, sacred people creating a sacred space for a certain group of people by drawing lines, and whether if you're inside or out was usually determined by those people, these, these holy people, and they're usually men, by the way, right? But we talked about how Jesus didn't want that. Jesus wanted something else. He wanted, he wanted something that's more of a Jesus model, which is basically an invitation for all people to come to him. So what does that look like in a church setting? Well, a few weeks ago, we introduced you to this idea called a bounded set. Now, these are terms that somebody way smarter than me um, created. I'm just regurgitating what I read, so you know, don't give me credit for this. But it's called a bounded set. Bounded set is basically somebody saying, here, here's a line. Let's draw it around us. And we are the people on the inside. Everybody else is on the outside. So for example, if you are a Christian because you prayed a certain prayer, you're on the inside. Everybody else? outside, right? If you have a certain political belief, maybe, no, not all churches have the same lines, but in some churches they'll say, if you are a certain, have a certain political position, then you're on the inside. If you voted for the other guy, you're on the outside. Um, some people would say, hey, it doesn't matter if you prayed the prayer and became a Jesus follower or not, but depending on what you, your beliefs are on like Israel, Palestine, you know, you're on the inside. If you disagree with me, you're on the outside. Um, maybe the way you dress, you're like, I came to church wearing a suit today, which I would never do, but you know, like you wear a suit and you're like, oh, you belong here because you look like one of us. You didn't dress up like us, you're on the outside. Maybe your, your views about gender, right? Oh, you believe that you can have women pastors? Oh, you're definitely on the outside. People on the inside, on these lines, have to believe that only men are allowed to preach. Or maybe your views about the LGBT situation, right? Like some people would say, if you have the same beliefs as us, you're on the inside. If you don't, you're on the outside. Bounded set. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people who are in church, people who used to go to church, were hurt by the bounded set approach. And for most of you, you're like, wait, isn't that what church is supposed to be? And the answer is, well, it's become that, but that wasn't the original intention. So people who were hurt by the bounded set, they said, you know what the problem is? The problem is that the people on the inside, they had this feeling of superiority, like we're better than the people on the outside, right? Like it's extremely exclusionary. It brings shame upon the people who are on the outside. And most importantly, and maybe it's not the most important thing to you, but for me it is, is that people on the inside, they can't be authentic. Because let's be honest, if you grew up in the bounded set type of worldview, if you were to show everything that you are to the people at church, you will end up on the outside. You can't be yourself at church. So the people who are hurt by this, they're like, you know what the problem with this model is? It's the lines, it's the lines, yeah. So. The next model is called a fuzzy set, where it's like, if the line is a problem, let's just erase all the lines. And so now everybody's in. So yes, we solved the problem about being exclusionary. We're more inclusive now, thumbs up. But it comes with a whole host of other problems. For example, in the bounded set, the lines gave you identity. This is who we are. The people who are not us are on the outside, right? We dress a certain way. We look a certain way. We do things a certain way. 
And for that reason, we're on the inside. People who don't do those things or don't look like us are on the outside. Fuzzy set, everybody's included. That's great. But there is no identity. The example I used was if you're doing like a field sport like baseball, and they're like, hey, everybody could come on the field. And so soccer players and frisbee throwers and golfers, they all come out and they're doing their thing. And we're like, wait, wait, we're here to play baseball. And everyone's like, no, everybody's invited. There's no direction. There's no purpose. I mean, there are purposes, but it's all over the place. There's purposes, right? Um, and eventually the people from the fuzzy set become bounded people. And we touched up on this a little bit last time. Because the people who are on the fuzzy set are the people who are like, we are anti-bounded. So if you're bounded, here's a line. You stay on that side and eventually become your own little group and you know, it goes around and around and around. Okay, so, so for the people who are part of the bounded, the churches that are bounded and fuzzy, your relationship to the church is measured by your relationship to lines. Whether if there's a line here or if it's like, let's double down that line or let's erase that line. It's all about lines. So we introduce to you the way that we think that Jesus wanted the church to look like, which we call the centered set. We're not, our identity doesn't come from lines. It comes from the center. And so there, there are no lines because now we're just seeing like which way are we facing? Which direction are we going? Right? So you could be this person who's just starting their journey all the way out here. You, you seem like you're far from Lord, right, from Jesus, but you're headed in the right direction, and because you're faced that way, you're in. You could look like you're really close to God, but in your heart, you're like turned around, you know, like, I don't care too much about Jesus, I, you know, I'll do my own thing, and that's the season in your life, that's okay, right? But this is the centered set church. Um, the illustration that I used a few weeks ago was, if there's a big field, and this is a story I heard from a pastor, you know, like pastors tell stories when they're trying to make a point. So I don't know if this story is true, but this is what I heard, right? Like in Australia, there's these big fields, and they had a certain amount of money to, you know, to keep the sheep within their own land. And so they said, how are we going to do this? And a bunch of people started building fences. And this one person didn't build any fences, and all the sheep stayed in one place. And they said, what did you do? He's like, well, I didn't spend my money on building fences. I spent my money on building deep wells, and that's what kept the sheep in this area. So that's the same idea here, is that we're all about facing towards the center. We're not here about building walls. So in the center said church, your relationship to the church is measured by your relationship to the center, which is Jesus. Now, I want to give you a little quote because this kind of, I think, illustrates the weirdness of this whole bounded set mentality. This is a quote from a guy named Rob Bell. This is what he says. Whenever people claim that one group is in, saved, accepted by God, forgiven, enlightened, redeemed, and everybody else isn't, right? Why is it that those, make, those who make this claim are almost always part of the group that's in, right? Isn't that interesting? Next slide. He says, have you ever heard people make claims about select few being the chosen and then claim that they are not part of that group? Like, have you ever said like, hey guys, this is where the line is. By the way, when it comes to sin, bounded set, right? We're like, certain sins, yeah, 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 okay, you cheat on your taxes, sure, you can still come to church. Oh, but if you commit these sins, you're not allowed to come to church anymore. Who said which sins were allowed in the church and which one isn't, right? Somebody drew the line. It just so happened that the people who drew the line were the people who are already inside, right? And because these lines are usually often drawn by men, a lot of the things are like, you know, things that men never have to suffer of. Like, if you had an abortion, then you're on the outside, right? Like, it's so convenient, right? So, so the line 
systems founded in fuzzy are often called destination theology because it's all about are you in or are you out? They don't care about where you are in your journey, right? All you care about is, so are you finally here on our side? Did you cross that line yet? Did you pray that prayer? Are you here, right? Versus a center set model focuses more on the journey theology. We care more about how you're doing right now on this journey called life. Are you moving towards Christ or are you moving away from Christ? Are you curious about what Jesus is you know, doing in your life or do you not care about what Jesus is doing in your life? Right? So when it comes down to it, it's about like we want to come alongside you in your journey and that's called center set. So let's look at the, map, the little picture here again, this diagram. So it's all about which direction are you facing? Are you facing towards Jesus? Are you, is your back towards Jesus? Right? Some people look close like this person over here but their orientation is away from the cross. Right? Some people may look far, but their orientation is towards the cross. We can't judge people. We don't know their stories, right? Now, now I oversimplified a lot of things in this diagram. Like one of the things is that like we don't really think too much about like, well, what if this person and that person disagree on their way to the center? We have to work that stuff out, right? It's really messy, the center set, but I think this is more biblical. But Another thing that I oversimplified in this diagram is you're either faced towards Jesus or you're faced away from Jesus and there's no middle ground. What if you are this blue dot, next slide, this blue dot right here with no direction, right? You're like, I'm just, I never thought that I was oriented towards Jesus, but then again, I don't have anything against him. I'm not, my, my, my back is towards Jesus either. Like what, I don't know, but I'm neither towards nor away. I, what about this guy? You know, right? The blue guy, the Smurf, you know, the Avatar guy. Like, what are we, like, well, what if this person is like, but you know what? I, if I do want to start my journey, well, how do I do it? So, the question I want to focus on today is this How do you begin your journey towards Jesus? Now, let me, at a risk of people just not answering my question because you guys are really good at listening but not so good at interacting, <laughs> what is the way, how, how do we start our journey with Jesus? Anybody? Accept him in your heart. So it's a, it's a belief, maybe? If you believe in Jesus, yeah, okay, what else? Good job, Bill. Thanks for participating. Yeah. Loving one another. So it's not about belief, but it's about doing something, right? Loving, yeah. Talk to Jesus, prayer, yeah, like maybe some of you guys, I think most of us here, right, you started your journey by saying, like maybe somebody led you in a prayer, Lord Jesus, thank you, you know, for forgiving, for my, my, forgiving my sins, dying on the cross for me, and I want to accept you into my heart and love others, or like this prayer, right? Now, here's the thing, I, I want to challenge that mentality today, and you're like, uh-oh, here we go, cots. Okay, so I want to first give you this warning. Okay, the warning is this. You may end up with more questions than answers today. Like, if I were to ask this question again, you guys are going to be like, I don't know anymore. Okay, so, <laughs> and the way I'm going to make these points is by being ridiculous. So you're going to see me be a little facetious today, a little, like, if I sound like I'm mocking, I'm not trying to mock, but okay. So what we're going to do today is I've selected, hand-selected a few verses throughout the New Testament that gives us indication on what the Bible says we start our journey with Jesus, okay? Now, I'm sure there are other verses out there. Um, I already picked a whole bunch of verses, so we don't have time to go into that, but you know, but okay, here we go. Um, we're doing communion today, so we've got to go fast. Okay, here we go. 
So this is the first story. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. We talked about the Pharisee last week, right? These people are extremely legalistic. And the other, a tax collector. We talked about the tax collector last week. He's the one that's, like, there's, like, sinners, and there's tax collectors, like, really bad people. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. And tax collector's like, hello, <laughs> like I'm here. I hear what you're saying because you're praying out loud then, okay. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And these were like some of the things that, like there's like the super hyper spiritual people and there's the normal people. And the super spiritual people, like they fasted a lot. And, you know, they gave a lot. So I'm like, wow. God is like, man, that Pharisee is amazing. Even I can't do that. Okay, next one. Um, But the tax collector, the really bad guy, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So very different. One is like proud of himself. The other one is like, like, I'm humiliated to be here. Because that guy just pointed me out. Like, I was trying to blend in with everybody. Now everybody knows I'm here, and all I can say is, I shouldn't be here today because I don't deserve to be here. He continues. I tell you that this man, he's talking about a tax collector, rather than the other Pharisee, went home justified before God. That means everything was made right with God. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, so from this one story, let's see what we can learn. This is how we move towards Jesus, everybody. Humility and prayer pretty clear, right? He was being humble, and he prayed something, and Jesus is like, that guy, that guy's right with God, right? Next story. This is from Luke chapter 23. Jesus hanging on the cross. To the left and the right of him are these criminals who are hanging with him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Like, you claim to be the Son of God. Um, Save yourself, oh, and also us, right? Then, the other criminal, the other guy on the other side of Jesus Uh, The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. Now, I love this image because, like, Jesus is in the middle, and, like, they're not talking to Jesus. They're talking about Jesus, like, right over him. And Jesus is like, I'm, like, right here. (laughs) We are punished justly, for we are getting what, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Like, Jesus, like, he's like, I'm glad you guys are, you could just talk to me if you want, right? And then... He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay, so he's like, Jesus, you know, you're the, we're the last people you're going to see, so remember us. Jesus, his response, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so this guy, right before he dies, seems to have made things right with God. He started pointing himself towards God. So, okay, let's look at the list. So we talked about humility and prayer. In this story, it seems to be saying, remember me. It's like, I don't know if you're mocking God by saying, like, you're going to forget, so just, you know, remember this face, you know, like. So wait, so it seems like, is it something that you say? And if it is something you say, what is it that you say? Is it like something about God, remember me? Is that what jumpstarts my relationship with Jesus? Uh, Maybe should I say, have mercy on me, remember me? Like, what is it that I'm supposed to say? Okay, let's go to the next story. If you declare with your mouth, this is Paul, one of the first Christian leaders, okay? He's writing a letter to this group of people who are trying to get their lives together, and he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so 
it seems like, let's look at the list again. We have humility and prayer, saying, remember me, and then we have this, declaring and believing. That pretty much covers it, right? But if you look at this list, what do they all have in common? Oh, next slide. We have prayer, saying, and declaring. Oh, so it's something that you say, like talking to Jesus is like prayer, so it must be prayer. Prayer is how we start. Like, is that how we start turning, start our arrow pointing towards the cross? Is that how we do it, cuts? Well, let's look at another example. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, so here's the lady. So it must be something you say, right? So let's pay attention to what the lady says. As she stood behind him, and I highlighted all the verbs in this story, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, in the next verse, Jesus is like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to have a teaching. So he tells everybody this parable. And after that, he says, I forgive you, and now you're part of my kingdom. So wait a minute. From this story, next slide, she says nothing. But I thought you had to say something, right? And she, what she was doing was that she was weeping before or behind Jesus. So, okay, so is that how we enter into the kingdom of God? Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't say she said anything, but... Maybe she was seeing something in her heart, right? So maybe she still is praying. We just don't know about it. Okay, let's look at the next story. We're trying to figure this out, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. I thought it's by saying something that we enter. Okay. Um, But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Oh, 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 does, does. Okay, so moving towards Jesus. Let's Let's make a new list, okay? It is not what you say. Contrary to what we just read for the past few chapters, it's actually, it's something that you do. If you start doing the things that God told us to do, then we're, we're, our arrow is pointing in the right direction, right? Are you guys getting confused? No? You guys are smarter than me because I was confused. Let's look at the next one. Jesus replied to somebody, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Wait a minute, is born again something we can do or is that something that we are or something we're becoming? Like, is it something we do? Well, let's look at the next part of this story. So I love Nicodemus because he asks like a follow-up question for clarity. Great job. How can someone be born when they are old? Hmm, so he's like, so it's not something I can do. Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Like, okay, I'm glad that he's asking this this question because I think a lot of people be like, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus, by being born again. So Jesus clarifies, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit, to which Nicodemus is like, oh, I'm still confused, right? So, okay, I guess it's not something you do. It's actually something you are. Wait, so which is it? Is it something you say, something you pray, something that you do? Or is it because I'm weeping? Or is it because I'm humble? Or is it because um, uh, I'm doing something? Or is it because I'm becoming something? Like, what am I supposed to do? Let me throw another wrench at you guys. Next one. Those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, that's the world after this one, and in the resurrection from the dead, dot, 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 where Jesus talks about this is how you partake in the, the, the age to come, meaning God's kingdom. How? Oh, by being worthy. 
worthy, being considered worthy. Okay, so moving towards Jesus is when you are considered worthy. Anybody here worthy? Yeah. Yep. Ricky, you are worthy. I am not. Okay. Here's another story of Jesus. He's interacting with this tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up. He invited Jesus to his house, right? And he knows he's a bad guy. Like that Zacchaeus himself is a bad guy. So he invited Jesus because he's like, I'm ready to point my arrow towards Jesus, right? Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my positions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, Jesus' response is interesting. Okay, so here's the first part of his response. He says, today, salvation has come. Oh, so it's paying people back, like having no debt? Is that how we point our dirt? But that's interesting, but here's something that's even more interesting. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And if you know that the New Testament's written in Greek originally, you'll know that the word house here isn't the word for house like brick and mortar house. It's the word for household, like people in your family. So I need to scratch my list and start a new one because it seems like it's when you or your family members are generous, right? Like, wait a minute. So Zacchaeus repents and he gives everything away, right? And then everybody in his family is brought into the kingdom. What? what? I thought it was an individual thing, right? Like, what? Right? Like, confused? Yeah, me too. Okay, here's another one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And you guys know that forgiveness of our sins is called justification. Basically, we are in his kingdom when he forgives us, right? So he's saying, hey, when you start forgiving other people around you, people are wronged against you, that's when you start to be forgiven by God. So you're right, wait, wait, wait. So, okay, let's scratch that list again, start over. Then maybe it's transactional. If we do this, then God will do this for us. If I forgive people, then I will enter into his kingdom. Okay, so it's transactional now. Here's another one, Luke 19. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So I want to point my arrow towards you. Um, what do I have to do? Now, at this point, Jesus knows that this man is a very like super-duper, hardcore um, temple guy. Okay, He's like, I've been all about, I'm all about following rules. So Jesus says, well, if you follow the commands, then sure, you could come into the kingdom. And Jesus knows it's impossible to do that. And he's like, no, I've done all those things. It's like, okay, well, let's put you to the test. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your positions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. I know this is the first that a lot of churches in America don't like to preach on. <laughs> go sell everything. Um, so, man, I must have been wrong about the list because here, let's start a new list then, okay? So uh, it's by selling or giving away all your stuff. That must be it. That's how we start our arrow pointing towards Jesus. Well, what about Jesus' disciples? After Jesus died and rose again, what are they teaching? Peter, before thousands of people, this is what he preaches. This is his first sermon. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Well, that's a new one. We didn't see Jesus talk about that yet. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, there it is, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's given to people who are part of his kingdom. So, Peter, you're telling me, somebody who studied under Jesus for three years, you're telling me that 
I should start a new list. Okay, so the way that we move towards Jesus is through baptism. But wait a minute, wasn't that guy on the cross next to Jesus, did he come off the cross and get baptized before Jesus said that? Wait, no, that didn't happen. Um, why didn't Peter say anything about praying or declaring or weeping or, watch, or doing God's work or being worthy? Like, what? Can't any of these? Oh, pastor, I get it. This is one of those contradictions in the Bible, right? Is that what you're trying to point? No. Um, I'm trying to make a point here. If I haven't made the point already, I'll keep making it. Okay, next one. John chapter five. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Oh, that's what it is. I need to hear God's word and I have to believe in it. So hearing and believing. So when I do my quiet time, I should read it out loud so I could hear myself reading the scriptures so I could hear his voice, but it's actually my voice. But I'm reading the stuff that Jesus said, but it's in English. Jesus didn't speak English, so how am I supposed to hear his word? And it gets really complicated, right? But the believing part, is that, isn't that what it is, right? Believing? I mean, somebody here said, oh, yeah, it's by believing, accepting him into your heart. Let's look at the next one. The people heard that Jesus had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. So Jesus comes back to his hometown, a whole bunch of people. Jesus enters the home, a whole bunch of people surround that home. And they're like, wow, this place, this house is not big enough for all these people. There's a group of friends over there with a paralyzed friend, and they want to get to him, but they know there's no way to get there. So some men, these four guys, bring to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So it's like, hey, I have an idea, guys. You know, buildings back then didn't have cement or anything hard. The roof was made out of mud and straw, so we could dig through it. Great idea, friend number one. Okay, so since they could not get to him, uh, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on to which I think the person who was living there was like, uh, my house, <laughs> right? But, but, okay, I love the tenacity and like the, 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 the boldness of the four friends. I know he didn't think about, I don't think they had home insurance back then, but, you know, but I'm sure he was thinking more about their friend, which is great. Okay, then when Jesus saw their faith, wait, whose faith? Who's there? His friends. Wait a minute. So when Jesus saw the faith of the friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. I thought it had to be the person who's getting saved. It has to be that person's prayer or faith or belief or actions. But it seems like it's somebody else's. By the way, this makes me feel like I need better friends. Like, man. <laughs> okay. So wait a minute. So the list now consists of this. Your friend's faith. So, are you guys confused? Yeah, good. Okay, I've done my job. <laughs> let's close in prayer. <laughs> no. Okay, okay, so let's go back to the question. How do you begin your journey towards Jesus? Now let's see if you raise your hand and you're like, nope, I'm not gonna raise my hand anymore because I don't know, right? You're more confused now than you were before you walked into this church service and you're kind of like, I should not come to service this morning. So, what is it? Is it through ritual? Is it through doing something? Is it through listening? Is it through saying something? Is it through not saying something? Is it through baptism? Is it through uh, perfection, selling your stuff, giving things away, weeping before or behind Jesus, or his feet? Is it through listening his voice? Is it through believing? Is it by having faith? Or is it somebody else having faith? There's even, like, there's a lot of stories I omitted from today's sermon because we have to take communion. But um, 
Like there's a story in the book of Acts where this Peter and his friend is in jail and they start singing songs and the jails fling open, right? And the, and the guard is like, oh no, woe is me. I'm going to be killed for this because I didn't do my job. So I'm going to take my life. Paul's like, hold up. Give me you know, 20 second time. Out. Like I, I need to talk to you. Everybody's still here, right? And it says that he, the jail, the jail guard, and his family were saved that day. Where did the family come from? Again, isn't it weird that, yeah, like, wait, wait a minute. So let's go back to this diagram here. If you're the blue guy right here, and this blue person comes up to you, you're like, nice blue shirt. And you're like, hey, um, I'm curious about Jesus. How do I start my journey? What would you say? What would you say? What is the first thing you would do? Well, the first thing I would say is, well, the very fact that you're curious means that you're already on the journey. You're already on your journey. But, but what is the thing to you know, close the deal, Cots? Like, you know, if there's a line, how do we get them to our side of the line? Well, let's look at this list. This is everything we talked about today. Humility, prayer, asking God to remember me, declaring, you know, all these things right here. Which one is it? I'll look at this list and say, it's, mm, no, <laughs> it's all of them. All of them. And guess what? And more. Why? Because some of you didn't pray a prayer. You just started coming to church. Somebody invited you because we have free food afterwards. And you've been coming for months. And you realize, oh my gosh, I think my arrow is pointing towards Jesus. When did that happen? It just naturally happened, gradually happened. Did you say, like, give me a date, give me a place. Where did you accept Jesus? I don't know. Now, if you were to ask me, Kotz, when did you accept Jesus? I have a time and a date and a place where I prayed a prayer, but I think I've accepted him even before I prayed that prayer. I can't give you exact time. I can't give you exact place. Some of you, it's the music. You're singing songs on Sunday morning, and one day you're like, I feel this tug in my heart, and I think it's pointing towards Jesus. Where's the verse for that? Did Jesus talk about music? No, no, no. But that's your story. Maybe it's through hanging out. You know, Christians like to call it fellowship, which is like a word we don't use outside of church, right? But um, you're hanging out. Maybe you've joined a life group and you're having conversations. You're, you're always disagreeing with the people there, but eventually you're like, even though I disagree with the people I'm having conversations with, these people, even though I disagree with them, they love me. And it feels like a different kind of love. It's is this what Christ is like? And before you know it, you don't even know that it happened, but your heart is turned towards the cross. Like, you're like, when did that happen? I don't know. Maybe it's through grief. Jesus didn't talk about grief. But you experience heart, heartache. You experience loss. But then you felt this tiny bit of light inside of you in the darkness. And you can't explain what that light was. But it's carrying you through life in the darkness. And before you know it, you realize, oh, that's Jesus. When did that happen? I don't know. Did you pray a prayer? I don't think I did. Did you do some kind? Did you get baptized? No, no. When did it happen? Maybe it was through a discussion you were having with somebody. One, the point I'm trying to make here is this: that turning towards Jesus, it's not a formula. Because if it was, it would be bounded. Did you? Here's a checklist. 
if you do these things, if you've experienced these things, then you're on this side of the line. If you haven't, then you're not clearly a Christian yet. I know the temptation, depending on your personality, the temptation is when you see a list of things throughout the scriptures, their temptation is to just make, make a list, right? You're like, okay, you know, like prayer, declaration. You know, it's not about talks, you know, right? It's like you start making a list and you check things off, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, I'll give you an example, and I don't know if this is appropriate, but um, you could tell me if it's not later. <laughs> it's easier to apologize than to uh, <laughs> seek permission. There's an author, a Christian author by the name of Renee Altson. She wrote a book called Stumbling Towards Faith. And it's a collection of stories that she collected from people who were abused in the church, but somehow stumbled upon Jesus and now are living vibrant Christian lives. The reason why Renee Altson wrote this book and collected these stories is because she herself was a victim of abuse by her own father. She was raped by her father as her father sang hymns and recited the Lord's Prayer. So when somebody asked her to pray the prayer, she couldn't, she wouldn't, because she was so scarred, the association with hymns, and a lot of hymns are direct quotes from the Bible, she would stay away from the book of Psalms because it just brought back terrible memories. Bounded set. Did you pray the prayer? I can't. Well, then you're not in. Is it her fault? No. What if you have a disability? If it says you're supposed to declare with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you're like, I'm, I can't speak, I can't, I'm, I'm mute. I... So are you now excluded? Bounded set. There's a line. The only way you could join in is if you check off these things off the list. Moving towards Jesus is not a formula because relationships are not formulas. Jesus is seeking a relationship, a love relationship. And sometimes in certain relationships, words may be required. But in other relationships, just a glance will tell you everything you need to know about the person. You know, when uh, every once in a while, people who are interested or curious about, you know, my life, I'm like, hey, Klotz, you know, how, how did you and Val get married, right? And we'll have conversations. And depending on who I'm talking to, a different memory will come up, and I'll share different stories. Like, oh, it was because she laughs at all my corny jokes, right? But when I'm talking to somebody else, it's like, oh, it's because she is so self-sacrificial, and I may not repeat the same story to different people. And if you ever make a list of it, you'll be like, so in order to marry Cots, you need to follow this list and you have to check off every single thing. And you're like, no, that's not like, look, if you laugh at all my corny jokes, I'm still not going to marry you, you know, right? <laughs> right? If it's a formula, like imagine if following me, marrying me was, oh my gosh, that sounds like a cult, right? Like <laughs> it's the way to get into this community. Oh boy, that sounds really bad. Okay, right? And imagine you're the, the bouncer at the club that's like, um, so did you laugh at his corny jokes? Okay, check. Uh, did you, are you self-sacrificial? Okay, check. Okay, you're welcome to, you know, like, it doesn't work like that, right? Because you can't put into formula, you can't put into an equation how to start a relationship. This is why when you look at the list through the scriptures, people come to Jesus in different ways because relationships are not formulas, you could do the same thing that these people did and may not end up with the same results. As a church, what does this mean to us? We should never, ever restrict how people orient themselves to Jesus. 
We have no right to squash everybody's journey into one entryway into the kingdom of God. In the Bible, different types of people stumble into the kingdom of God in different ways, and that is by design. People who like to make lists will look at this and say, oh, no, this is how you get into the kingdom of God, but these people in the Bible, they're just exceptions to the rule. No, 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 no. They're not exceptions to the rule. That is exactly how Jesus meant it to be. By the way, when it comes to healing, I don't know if you know, but in the Bible there are several instances when Jesus heals the blind. If you notice, he never heals the blind the same way. In one case, he just spits in their face. Oh, that is gross. Look at my hand. Look at my hands, right? Like, in other cases, Jesus spits into the mud and he mixes it. He spits into the dry dirt, makes mud out of it, and rubs it on their face. And then, like, they wipe it away. It's like, oh my gosh, I can see. Jesus never does it the same way because he knows that people might make it into a formula, right? Same way, entering to the kingdom of God is not a formula because it's all about relationship. It's all about my relationship to the center. It's not a relationship to the line. It's to the center. So let's look at this bounded set illustration again. This is why bounded set theology, binded set churches are focused on destination theology. Did you pray the prayer? Then you're in and you have arrived. Imagine if marriage was treated this way. Like, God, you're married. You're done. Like, you don't have to think about anything else anymore. It's like, no, 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 no. When you get married, that's when the journey began for me. Like, I have to learn how to live with somebody. And, you know, it's been great, by the way. You know, and, you know, <laughs> right? Like, be more selfless and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? But destination is like, I'm married, I'm done, I'm just going to relax and do nothing. Bound to sit theology you know, destination theology asks questions like, so when was the day that you accepted Christ? Assuming that there are some boxes you checked and you have to be able to recall when that actually happened. When did I pray it? You know, where were you when it happened? Versus the center set church. Here we go, center set church. This is not about destination. This is about the journey. Because a relationship is never something you arrive at. It's something you always journey with. So, the question we shouldn't be asking is, when did you accept Jesus into your heart? The question we should be asking is, how do we walk alongside you on your journey? It's a very different way of looking at our faith now, right? We don't celebrate when you, I mean, we will celebrate if you decide to make that. By the way, there's a theological term for this. It's called particular salvation. You don't have to know this, it's not on the test. Okay, but particular salvation is, you know what exact time and moment in your life when you accepted Jesus. By the way, in the New Testament, the only person that we know that had that experience is Paul the Apostle. He had that one moment where he said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Like, I'm, you know, his 12 disciples, Jesus said, come follow me. And they're like, okay, I don't know what this is. And throughout the journey, you'll see that the disciples are like, we still don't know why we're following you. But somewhere along the journey, they can't pinpoint exactly, but they became followers of Jesus and understood his divinity and understood the, the, the health of it and all that. Like it didn't happen at one specific moment. It happened over time. It was gradual. So if you're a person who's like, I don't know when this whole thing happened, you're joining a great multitude of people you know, of the church that would say, yeah, us too. We don't know when it happened either, but it just happened over time. But Center said Church celebrates that. We celebrate the journey. And the early church the first 300 years of church history, they looked at this and said, this is so beautiful that we celebrate, because the Roman Empire at the time was all about destination. Are you with us or are you against us, right? 
the church in the first three centuries were like, we love the fact that this is all about being centered to the well. It's about being centered to Jesus. How do we keep that spirit alive? So what they said was, you know what? Jesus did a few things that we think we should continue, and they're called rituals. I'll give you an example. Baptism is a ritual of dying to your old self and being birthed again into your new creation. Dying to your old self, starting something new with Jesus. They thought that this was the best way to demonstrate our journey towards Jesus. Today I was one person, tomorrow I'm a different person. This is who I used to be, and this is who I am now, right? It's a journey type of ritual that points to the journey. Baby baptism, baby dedication. This is the way of the church saying to the child, although the baby probably doesn't understand at the moment, right? Saying, we choose to love you even before you are of any use to us, right? It's like, like you're not going to tithe, are you? No? Well, are you going to help clean up? No? Okay, well, we're not loving on you based on your utility. We're loving you just because you are a child of God. Baby dedication is when the community says, we will raise you as one of our own just because you are a child of God. Your value doesn't rest in what you're able to bring to us. Your value rests in the fact that you are you. Great ritual, I think, right? And as you can see today, we're gonna partake in another ritual. It's called, historically it's been called the Eucharist. We call it communion. This ritual basically says this. Jesus is the head of the church. The tables belong to Jesus. And we have no right, because it belongs to Jesus, we have no right to be bouncers. We're not checking for ID at the door when you come to the table. We are guests at his table. It's not our table, it's his table. And he has made space for anyone who wishes to be here. He's inviting everybody to a relationship. Not only people who happen to have a membership at a church or people who have chosen to pray that prayer before coming to the table. The table is open to anybody who wants to be here. So what we're gonna do today is we're actually gonna practice that. Yeah. We're gonna take communion. We thought this is the best way to close this sermon series called Center Set Church. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna take this station over here. Pastor Stan's gonna be over here. Maybe the worship team could play something uh, because that hey. usually helps me center myself before I come to the table. So uh, I'm gonna close this time in prayer. And when you feel like you know, you're ready to come to the table, we'll be waiting for you to offer some bread and, and some juice.